I am an optimist by nature, I think. Uh, my wife says, um, to a fault, uh, if, if a job by all estimates should take eight hours, I'm sure it can be done in four, and then it takes 10 or 12. Um, so, so I'm not naturally given to doom and gloom speculation. I tend to look on the, on the bright side, tend to be positive about things. I've not been a voice insisting that the cultural sky is falling. And I believe we simply don't know whether things will be better in 10 years or 20 years because trends aren't strictly predictive, right? Just ask stock market speculators. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow based on what has been leading up to today. And yet, even as an optimist, it is hard to not notice reasons for believing that we are living in a darker time than at least many of us can recall. Uh, Just a few thoughts on that. You probably don't need reinforcement of that idea, but just 20 years ago, we're told that 70% of U.S. adults were members of a church compared with just 52% in more recent years. That's a pretty steep decline in just 20 years. And more recently, with the rise of live streaming uh, worship services, 58% of Americans agree that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. And we have to wonder, what does that uh, statistic suggest about coming uh, church participation? And then culturally, uh, we notice that objective standards, for example, of identifying male and female are uh, being erased. Many expressions of biblical faith are no longer considered merely countercultural. They now are uh, apparently proof of dangerous extremism. Um, religious liberties are being more and more threatened, it, seemed, it seems. And of course, we could go on and on identifying all of the darkness around us, but let's not. Let's better ask the question, what are we to do in dark times? What are we to do in these dark days? And the Bible gives us a beautiful and hopeful instructions for what we are to do in a dark age. And, and that is we are to shine. Taking that image from Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, shine as lights in the world, or as another translation puts it, shine like stars in the universe. And there's a lot going on in that little phrase, isn't there? Paul says, shine as lights. I think there's at least two main things going on. He's first of all setting before us a natural image. He actually wants us to imagine lights in the sky so that 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 picture could go with us into our Christian living. Um, Who can gaze at a starlit night and not be dazzled by its beauty? David did some of his best thinking, it seems, while studying the stars. Uh, Psalm 8 and elsewhere, he, he considers the stars and he's led to wonder why then would God be so faithful to someone as small as him and people like him. And although most of us don't think about the practical use of stars, Paul's audience would have. We are probably one of the more ignorant uh, generations in terms of knowledge of the stars. We don't need to know about the stars, we, we think. We have global position systems for navigation, but you know, since the beginning, people were navigating by the stars. They were uh, pointers for people walking in darkness. And so Paul's audience, when they, when, when they hear this phrase, shine like stars, would have thought about, about beauty, about guidance, about majesty, about glory. 
Paul wants us to imagine actual stars, I think, when we think about our relationship to this world. But there's also a theological image, a powerful theological image at work in this phrase. Do we remember that the first thing God did in this world was shine his light into darkness? Right? Genesis 1 verse 3, God, says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. First thing that God does. But it doesn't take long before light and darkness come to describe the moral universe. Not just the divisions of the physical universe, but the moral universe as well. Through sin, the human race is plunged into darkness. Um, our spiritual eyes became dark, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 23. Humanity's image-bearing of God, the reflection of His light, was replaced in the fall by darkness. God's knowledge, righteousness, and holiness no longer naturally shine through people. The world became dark morally, spiritually. But God, in the Old Testament, of course, promises a light to the nations. Right? Isaiah chapter 51, verse 4. And so Isaiah could describe the coming of God's salvation like this. Now, uh, chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. So God is teaching His people to anticipate a coming light that would, that would flash into and bring uh, flourishing into the dark world. And so it shouldn't surprise us, I think, that hundreds of years later, when God gifts the world with His Son, He floods the night with His glory. The shepherds who are watching their flocks by night are dazzled by the, the light coming from the heavens. Jesus uh, is the true light who has come into the world, we read in John chapter 1, verse 9. He says this himself in John 8 and John 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is the light shining into the world, and, and that allows the Apostle Paul to describe salvation like this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, so he's throwing us back to Genesis 1, verse 3, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Believers shine out because God is shining into us. And so to believers living in this present darkness, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And of course, he warns in that context not to cover that light, not to be pressured into hiding that light, not to be conformed into the mold of this world, as Paul would later say in Romans 12, verse 2. And then we have this image in Revelation Chapter 1, verse 20. In Revelation, we see this glorious image of Jesus Christ, so glorious that he causes his best friend, who knew him so well and so personally, to faint upon seeing him. We see this Jesus holding in his hand stars. And John tells us there are seven stars, which are the seven churches 
the full number of God's chosen witnesses to shine his light into a dark world. And so going from the beginning of the Bible, God shining his light into the world to the end of the Bible, the, the people of God being stars shining into the world, being held in the midst of persecution in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ who shined into our hearts. It's a beautiful image of hope, isn't it? Into the darkness before time, God shined his light. Into the darkness today, God shines light through his people. What a beautiful, powerful, hopeful image that God gives us in this phrase, shine as lights. But someone uh, may say, well, you, you are optimistic, aren't you? You've skipped over all the dark parts of Philippians 2 verse 15. You're just focusing on the light. Well, what are we to, to say about the, the dark night of Philippians 2 15? The, the, the crooked and twisted or crooked and perverse nation or generation. And of course, we can't skip over that. We have to admit that this is the reality. Right? The, the phrase that, that Paul uses here comes from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, this crooked and perverse generation or crooked and perverse nation, um, describing in, Gen, in Deuteronomy 32 the, the blemished, foolish, senseless people who are not God's children. That generation was dark. And God the Spirit applies that same phrase to the New Testament age as well. So the people, uh, the nations uh, among whom God's children would go into in Canaan would be dark. And we are entering into that same age as believers as well. Until Christ returns, the church will live in a crooked and twisted age. Right? Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 13, that Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We no longer share the heart of those who are contributing to and participating in this darkness, but we do still live in a place and a time in which that dark domain actively opposes God. Right? If we can't see how our world bends and twists away from God's will, we are either ignorant or so fully complicit, part of the problem that wrong has begun to seem right to us. So we can't ignore the darkness. We can't, we can't minimize it. We can't say, well, it doesn't really exist. It's not really so bad. We can't be uh, uh, optimist in that sense of the word. The light has come into the world, but people love darkness. We read in John 3, verse 19. It's sad but it's true. However, we mustn't exaggerate the darkness. We mustn't exaggerate the problems of our day. We live in a crooked and twisted age, but since the fall, so is everyone else. Right? It's easy for us to say, well, whoa, no, our day is different. Right? Our day is worse. But we've, we have no grounds to feel sorry for ourselves as if we're the first believers called to live in darkness. It's really been our call since the beginning. We, we need to be aware of that uh, complex that Elijah had, that mistake that he made in assuming that, that his struggles for God are unique. You know, he's the only one. There's, I'm, the, I'm the only one who's serving you, Lord. Everyone else is compromised. It's just me. And the Lord says, no. Um, 300 years ago, Matthew Henry said this about the opening line of Psalm 14.1. You're acquainted with Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Well, that's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? 
There's no God. Matthew Henry says this about that line. We are sometimes tempted to think, surely there was never so much atheism and profaneness as there is in our days. But we see the former days were no better. Even in David's time, there were those who had arrived at such a height of impiety as to deny the very being of a God. Right? If we think, well, if we could just get back to an earlier era, you know, maybe in the last century or in the 1700s, or you know, here Matthew Henry in the 1700s saying, you know, we think it's the worst time to have ever lived. But even in David's day, people were denying God. So we are not the first to face our challenges. We need to remember that. In fact, the Scripture is not pessimistic about our prospects. If we go back to Philippians 2.15, that, that, that uh, text in which that phrase, shine as lights, shine as stars, is found, we'll notice that actually the entire context of Philippians 2.15 is positive. Now, now yes, it's, it's positive um, in a realistic way. Uh, it acknowledges the, the, the darkness in which we shine as lights. We, we do live in a crooked and perverse generation. But let me just walk through a moment the context uh, of Philippians 2.15, which we've read this morning in, in uh, verses 13 through 18. We read in verse 13 that God is working in us according to his good pleasure. He's not only working in us, but he's doing so in a way that's pleasing to him. That's a very positive image, isn't it? God is at work in us in a good way. Even the hard work of obedience, we're told in verse 15, can be done without grumbling or complaining. Right? We, we can be faithful and obedient happily, um, contentedly. In contrast to the crooked and twisted generation in which we live, God's people should be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, verse 15 says. That's a really hopeful picture that God gives to us. By faith, verse 16 says, we should hold fast to what Paul calls the word of life or holding forth the word of life. That's so positive. I mean, living in a, in a, in a culture of death, we are to hold fast and hold forth the word of life. Even Paul, writing with the, the nearly certain prospect of martyrdom, is glad and rejoicing, he says in verse, 15, in that verse 17. So he knows the darkness. He's wrestling with it as well. But he's glad. He's rejoicing, even facing martyrdom. And he invites us in verse 18 to join him in the same. Be glad and rejoice with me. Why so positive? Well, because the apostle knows that the darker the night, the brighter the stars shine, right? There's never a better time to shine than in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. In fact, we have no right to be less optimistic than God is. If God is, is hopeful about our shining, uh, about our reflection of his knowledge and righteousness and holiness in this world, being uh, a, a beacon of hope, and a, a sense of direction to a lost people. If God is optimistic about that, we should be too. In fact, here's another way of being optimistic about our troubling times. Believers who live in a place and, and time with less contrast between light and darkness face a whole other problem. 
right? In those ages or places in which we don't see the contrast between light and darkness, where the culture seems brighter and so the stars shine less brightly, we've got a whole host of other problems. Abraham Kuyper, in a reflection on uh, the history of the church, said this, As long as the church was persecuted, it flourished. And when it came into a position of honor, it paid for it with its moral influence. And he's reflecting on a time you know, in, uh, uh, in which the church became the dominant driving influence in culture and said when that happened the, the church paid for its honor with more with uh, with its moral influence and of course we don't we don't seek persecution we don't pray for persecution we're wise we're shrewd we try to avoid persecution where we can with integrity but we we ought to recognize that the lord does something special during dark times during uh, those, those periods in which the generation seems so crooked and perverse. I think there's, there's, there's hidden clues to this as well in these uh, stories of the kings of the Old Testament. Let me just give you three examples. Uh, first from Second Chronicles 12, verse 1, we hear this, When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Right when he's when he's weak, when his reign is uncertain, uh, there's a, a greater degree of faithfulness. Or Second Chronicles twenty six verse sixteen, Uzziah, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Or Solomon, when Solomon was on the top of uh, on the top of the world, so to speak, he turned from the Lord. First Kings eleven one through eight tells us. I mean, if this is true of individuals, is it not true of the church, which is made up of individuals? When we feel strong, when we feel confident, when we feel like, you know, just, just by virtue of who we are, things are going so well in the culture, uh, we can become lazy. We can become, um, uh, we can abandon the law of the Lord and proud to our own destruction. So, when we're weak, then we're strong, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. When the world is black, then we shine brighter. So what should we do? If, if Paul is putting this image before us to, to shine as, as, as lights in the world, as stars in the universe, what should we do? Um, yes, we should acknowledge the dark times that we live in, but that, to do so is not at all the same as throwing up our hands in defeat. Instead, we need to recognize the kind of faith that our day demands and live in confidence that God is working in us. So I think one of the things that we ought to do, and as, as we're tra training for the ministry or seeking to live faithfully as God's people in, in other vocations, um, as we have opportunity to influence the, the, the church and those in our closer circles of influence, we ought to be asking, what kind of faith is demanded today so that we'll shine brightly? And of course, the answers to those questions aren't really going to be new. Uh, but perhaps we've forgotten uh, how we're to call, uh, called to live in dark times as we've lived in previous days of relative peace. What should the strategy for triumph be in our day? Well, it, it seems to me that Christians will shine as lights in the world by deliberately practicing specific disciplines in the world. I like this paraphrase of Philippians 2, verse 15. Go out into the world uncorrupted, 
a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society, provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God, carry the light-giving message into the night. What does that message look like and how are we to do it? I want to suggest very, very briefly as we, as we wrap up, just, just a few disciplines that we're going to be called to in the coming days, years, perhaps uh, decades, to be faithful, to shine as stars in the world. One discipline is certainly going to be courage. We're going to have to be more courageous. Now, when, when the Lord was calling his people, drawing them finally into the land of Canaan in Joshua chapter 1, how many times does God say in one part of one chapter, be strong and courageous? Because he's sending them into a dark, a dark place. We, we'll need courage. It wasn't without reason that Jesus warned against putting one's light under a basket because light attracts attention. Light is naturally then disruptive and confrontational. It exposes that which doesn't want to be seen and it creates a contrast, makes us stand out. And so to to deliberately attract attention requires Christ-like courage. And so we ought to be uh, wrestling with this call. What does it mean to be courageous in my day? Not reckless, not rude, um, not being courageous to the you know preaching to the choir, but to be truly courageous. What does that look like in this day? Another thing is this: to, to shine as lights in the world, we we will need contemplation. We will need to be thinkers. Right? Truly deep thinking has gone out of style, and if we if we think about the um, the, the unique age in which we live, of sort of an information overload, the constant potential for distraction, people becoming wired to be able to think less sharply, we have an opportunity to shine more brightly. What what does the Bible say about uh, Daniel and his friends in the first chapter, I think it is of Daniel, that they were ten times more equipped, more uh, wise than all of their contemporaries in that day. They were able to shine like stars through knowledge. I mean, knowledge is one of the ways that we reflect God as image bearers. And so we need to be knowledgeable and wise, bringing wisdom into this world. Third, to shine as lights in the world, we will need community. Right? Stars shine brightest in clusters. We have names for stars that shine in clusters, don't we? They stand out uniquely. Paul is writing here to brothers and sisters in a family whom he loved and longed for, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, in a dark world, we must practice together our heavenly citizenship, as Paul says in chapter 3, verse 20. And then, four, to shine as lights in the world, we will need a, a strong dedication to corporate worship. Remember when Moses had that experience of meeting with God? In, uh, in the Old Testament, we read that um, he came away from meeting with God and his face was shining. He's like the most literal uh, description of Philippians 2.15, shine like stars. He was doing it. His face was shining because he had met with God. He had seen the, he had seen the, the beauty and the majesty of God and his face sh- shined. Um, something like that was said, wasn't it, of Stephen. There was a, a, a light to his, to his face as he was reflecting on... Um, as if he already was in the presence of God, but soon to be in the presence of God bodily as well. And then we read this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. As we meet with God, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, we will ourselves be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So to be transformed in glory so that we can shine like stars, we'll need a stronger commitment to corporate worship. And so, of course, you know, this is nothing that you would disagree with, but we need to continue to hold that out to our people. You need church right now more than ever. Um, our folks need to hear that. And then five, and of course we could think of dozens of other disciplines, but to shine as lights in the world, we will need church unity. Um, infighting has always been disastrous to the church. But the toll of infighting was perhaps softened when the church enjoyed the general blessing of culture. A grumbling, complaining, um, divided church will not shine today. And so we, we, we ought to just keep asking these questions. What, what, what is demanded of us right now in this, in this unique moment to, to shine like stars? What disciplines must we be most committed to and hold out to those that God has given to us to influence? And if, we, if we're faithful, if we're trusting in the Lord, um, if, if we're recognizing that our shining is really a reflection of His brilliance on us, um, we won't be anxious. We won't, we won't be pulling our hair out. We won't be um, constantly lamenting how bad things are in, uh, in our day. Henry Zylstra wrote this about Christians. We are not anxious about civilization as though in this life only we had hope. Right? We don't have hope only for this life. And so we're not anxious about civilization. Jesus is the victor. Um, with him we cannot lose. He makes us, as Matthew 6 verse 22 says, full of light, well able to shine even in these days. Let's pray for God's help that we would do so. Almighty God, we thank you for this powerful image of light shining in darkness. Um, the image of the first act of creation, that brilliant uh, scene in which light shines into a formless world, dark world. And we thank you for sending into this world the light of Jesus Christ, the true light of the world, to shine into our hearts, into our minds, illuminating us and causing us to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we pray that we would see ourselves as Christians as lights in the sky, as stars in the universe shining out with courage, uh, thoughtful, um, in communion with brothers and sisters, uh, committed to church membership and church unity. And so we pray that you would encourage us in these days. Uh, we have many reasons to be discouraged, to lament the future. But we thank you that you are in control of all things, uh, that our hope is not for this life only, and that you are working out a glorious plan to, uh, to bring your... A, a new creation into your presence once and for all in which you will be the sun and you will shine on us forever. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.